0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Awesome Book Club Podcast. I'm Rhett. might have noticed on your way in here that for this episode and the one following we are going to be discussing the latest on our reading list, a book called Hiroshima by John Hersey. For those of you completely oblivious to history, it was on August 6th, 1945, that Hiroshima was destroyed by the first ever atomic bomb to be dropped over a city. The book Hiroshima was John Hersey's attempt to tell the story through the memories of six of the survivors. Through the moments preceding the detonation the hours immediately following and the months weeks and years afterwards Hiroshima was originally published in the New Yorker and put to print in a book shortly afterwards and has been in print ever since you can go ahead and get your hands on a mass-market paperback copy on Amazon for probably less than ten bucks guys real quick before we get started we want to remind everybody that this is a book club and if you were listening you are a part of that you are a part of the awesome book club And if you want to have your voice heard, if you want to share your opinions, if you think what we're saying is stupid or you totally agree, you can hop onto Twitter and you can tweet at us. We are at Awesome Book Club. But if 280 characters is not enough, you'd rather write your doctoral dissertation uh, about our discussion of Hiroshima, you can email it to us at abc at airpodcast.com. We really appreciate you guys taking the moment to listen to us. If you like what we're doing, please hop on over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform of choice and leave us a review, leave us a rating. That is a currency of the podcast world, and it only takes a moment. We really appreciate it if you do. Regardless of what you choose to do, we're going to keep giving you the best discussions that we can muster, and we're going to keep up the tradition with uh, part one of our discussion of Hiroshima by John Hersey.
1: of the document I sent I have some questions that I might, might want to ask and obviously like you guys can ask anything you want I mean I'll because I chose the book I'll kind of guide the conversation a little bit but if you guys have a direction you want to take it pose other questions that you have that would be cool I, I did a little bit of outside research too um, like that I sent that article I was talking to I sent to you guys Mm -hmm. about like did we really need to drop the bomb I watched some videos about what people think Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting but yeah that's kind of that's kind of my thought what do you guys think sounds good baby (laughs) okay hey guys welcome to this month's episode of our book cup, book, <laughs> book cup, <laughs> of our book club podcast my name is Taylor and I am your quarterback today uh, I'm joined by two of my best friends Kurt burning and Rhett Weisenfels, and this month we read the book Hiroshima by John Hersey and I'll just dive right in I chose this book because uh Rhett and I actually just got back from Japan a few months ago and we traveled to Hiroshima and you know we were in the city looking at the uh the building that was at the kind of the right beneath the the epicenter of the blast and it was just you know just so decrepit and destroyed and uh I don't know I just thought that if we read a book that talked a little bit more about the individual experience of what happened when the United States dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in World War II, it would kind of enlighten us a bit about what happened. You know, uh, Was it right to drop the bomb? And uh, yeah, just challenge us in in asking some bigger questions about about that whole situation. So uh, I guess I didn't give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. <laughs> How's it going, guys?
2: <laughs> it's going well. Happy to be here with you, Taylor. It's, I love this book. I thought it was absolutely outstanding. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. My name is Kurt. I'm a part of the podcast.
1: Yeah.
0: I, too, am a part of the podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was really awkward of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, my name's Rhett, and uh, like Taylor said, I, too, am a part of the podcast. And uh, yeah, dude, this book, um, I don't know, I, um, I did enjoy it thoroughly. And of course, like anybody who uh, remembers, um, this book was sort of like originally like a newspaper article and it reads like a newspaper article, uh, which is both like equally fascinating as like a historical piece, but also like equally horrifying because it's easy to remember like, or uh, excuse me, it's easy to forget that like this stuff actually happened to human beings. And because of that, it it just like kind of, I don't know, generates this macabre sense of, I don't know, like historical fascination, but like dread.
1: Yeah. Well what I so there's a couple things, I guess. Uh when I was reading the book, I often thought about the fact that this happened in 1945, like before either of my parents were born. And like putting it into that context of like, wow, we we as humans have been able to cause such devastation for so long. And it, it's like It's kind of mind blowing. Like before computers were really a thing, we had a bomb that could destroy cities, Uh, and it and it puts things into perspective as far as like where people put their priorities, you know. Um, And obviously, there's a lot of context that needs to be had about like, was it right to drop the bomb, Uh, and all of that kind of stuff. But it just like, I think about, I thought about that as I was reading, and it's like, holy cow, like these people, all the survivors. Most of them have already lived their lives in full, you know, like they, the, the six stories that we follow, the six people that we follow have all, they all lived, they survived the bombing and they made it to somewhat old age and died like in the seventies and eighties and nineties, you know? So they lived a full life and when they were much younger, tools of destruction like the atomic bomb existed. It just like kind of blows me away that, that it's been around. It, it's one of those things too, where you're like, you think about it because growing up, you, you, we've always known that the atomic bomb was dropped in 1945. So it's like, it's just this fact you think about it in a very distant way. And like when me and Rhett were in Hiroshima, you're standing right there. You know, this was where the dro- the first atomic bomb was dropped on humans. And it's like just wild. So being able to read these six stories was really powerful. And, uh, I do want to go into how the book was laid out and some of the specifics, but I also want to, without, without getting into too much detail, uh, of each individual experience. I, I want to kind of take a, a broader look at this, the whole, the book as a whole. Um, so getting into it, the, the very first uh, chapter is called A Noiseless Flash. And what it really does is it sets up the story. It talks about the six people that are involved. And just to give a brief rundown of who those people are, there's Miss Toshiko Sasaki, who was a clerk uh, at an office, and she had just sat down at her desk when the, when the bomb went off. Um, there's Dr. Masakazu Fuji. Uh, who had kind of his own uh, practice and building where he was uh, like taking care of patients and and things like that. And he had just sat down to read the morning paper. There's Mrs. Hatsuyo Nakamura, and she was standing in her kitchen uh, when the bomb went off. She has three children that were involved in the uh, bombing that are talked about some. Um there's Father Wil uh Wilhelm or Wilhelm Kleinsorge. I don't really know how to pronounce his name, but he's actually a German Jesuit uh who came over to Japan during World War II and was uh running uh a church basically in Hiroshima at the time of the bombing, and he was reading a magazine. There's Dr. terafumi Sazaki who was carrying blood from a patient to do a Wasserman or Wasserman test. Uh, and then finally there's Reverend Kiyoshi Tanimoto, uh, who was unloading a cart and all these people, like what's interesting is they set the the stage about, uh, what was happening in Hiroshima at the time. You know, there's, the city is set up to, uh, alert the people, like the citizens of the city, uh, when something is happening. So like there'd be sirens going off every morning when they saw like, a a weather plane that flew by, and they talked about uh, because he, the people of Hiroshima didn't really know what was coming. They had they had warning that something would be coming, uh, that the Americans would be bombing, but they thought it would be something similar to what they were doing in Tokyo, which was just like firebombing, basically. Uh, which I mean is arguably. Worse. Could could be arguably worse than the atomic bomb. I've heard both sides of that story. Um, so they didn't know what was coming. And they the government in Hiroshima had certain people destroy their houses and buildings and things like that to kind of make uh, these like safety lanes in case of the fire so that the fire wouldn't spread to other buildings. And so they talk a little bit about them just preparing for what's gonna come uh everybody had like this uh concrete barrel that was like full of water that they sat out front of their house uh which was kind of interesting so everybody like knew something was coming but they didn't know what and uh the americans had air bases nearby and there was just always this looming threat that you know the the B29 bombers which they called Bison <laughs> uh Bison would was just constantly threatening them you know like at any moment they could be bombing them so they kind of set that stage they talk a tiny bit about what everybody was doing and then all of a sudden uh there was just kind of this noiseless flash like no, what's interesting is they said nobody remembers hearing the flash or hearing the explosion. It's like all of a sudden just this new sun spawned in front of them. And most of the people that are highlighted here were lucky enough to survive, but some of them, like Miss um, Toshiko Sasaki, her office building just completely collapsed on on top of her like she was buried in rubble and actually a bookshelf fell on her and and crushed her legs uh dr masakazu fuji who had this house kind of up on a hillside near a river was thrown into the river and woke up trapped between a tree basically in the river and others like uh who was the other guy other people were, you know, they were just kind of lucky enough to be in that particular spot that they were in to avoid, you know, objects flying at them or uh, um, things like that. And and most of these people, too, that are, are in this story are, um, I think they were around three quarters of a mile outside the, the center of the blast, and they still got hit, like, really hard. And I have some notes in here somewhere. That talk about basically the distances and and how people in a certain distance are affected by the bomb. But basically, if you're within like a half mile of the radius, you were just incinerated instantly. And there was like a hundred thousand people that just instantly were gone. Um, the people farther out were blasted with radiation, basically, and you know their houses were destroyed and they either were blown way back or uh i don't know like like just the the amount of devastation that was caused in that moment is is insane um so i thought that the way oh go ahead kurt Oh yeah. I was just going to say,
2: and I think one thing that struck me in, in like thinking about this initial scene and, and the first moments is how each of them thought it was totally isolated that like a direct bomb had hit their hospital or house, you know, and that's, I think we think of there being an atomic bomb and people understanding what's happened. But I was just totally fascinated by that, that everyone kind of no one knew the scale and that kind of unfolds over the course of the book where people start finding out exactly, oh, well, this was a whole city. It was everybody. But at first they're just kind of like, oh, a bomb hit my hospital or my house or, you know, and that it makes total sense. They would think that.
1: Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say too that, that I, I want to also help us as we go through discussing the book was I found it really interesting That first of all, that this was written by an American white man. Second of all, two of the characters—or not characters—two of the people in the book are religious, like you know, a reverend and a priest, I guess. And two were doctors; the other two were women. Um, and what I thought of most of the time as I was reading this was how interesting it it is that those were the people kind of highlighted and my thought was partially that they were chosen because they would be more familiar to the American reader. And so I kind of like, I thought this whole time we are reading about Japanese people who experienced the atomic bomb, but it's also being kind of framed by John Hersey and it seemed like, cause like I was watching a little documentary about the whole situation uh, with the Hiroshima bombings. And they were just talking about how the Americans saw the Japanese as being kind of like a lesser animal than a, than a human being. Whereas like with the Nazis, it was kind of like, well, we're not fighting against the Germans necessarily. We're fighting against this evil ideology. But the Japanese people as a whole were thought of as being kind of like less than the Americans. And so I found it very fascinating that he, he focused on some things that were more Western, you know. Um. And I saw, I saw that throughout the book. I don't know what your guys' take on that is, but just something to kind of point out before we get too far.
0: I wanted to chime in with something really quick that, um, just about what you were saying originally when you started, you were kind of describing the quote unquote characters in the book before you cut yourself. <laughs> um, I actually made note of it. It was like one of the first things that I noted, uh, myself was that I keep referring to these people as characters. Um, and it's hard because like we're so re- far removed from it and and it was, you know, feels like so long ago and, and you know, pictures only go so far, but they were people. They were h- human beings. They are human beings. And uh like this is their life being just utterly you know, turned upside down in a flash. In a literal flash. Um I I'm 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 very excited that you that you caught yourself and, and said people cuz I found myself constantly <laughs> when I was writing notes. So yeah. I was like these characters I'm like damn it. <laughs> you know?
1: Well, to add on to that, what I found interesting too and and this kind of relates to what we're talking about. What I found interesting was even the people who were involved in this, they said multiple times how they had to remind themselves that the some of the other people who were less fortunate than them in the bombings, they had to remind themselves that they were people because the bomb just like destroyed everything, you know, and people who, uh, like I remember this one scene when, um, I can't remember which person it was. I think it might've been father Wilhelm. He came across this kind of unit of soldiers and they must've like, looked up or something at the bomb as it was blo- like exploding and all of their faces were just like just completely maimed like he even described it in one of the most graphic ways i've ever read of anything basically that their eyeballs like they just had sockets and the eyeballs had like melted down their faces jeez and it's like oh my god it was just so horrific and Uh, If it was Father Wilhelm, he he made note to himself that these are people like I can't I can't really tell that they're people and they're horrible to look at, but they are people.
0: Yeah. And that actually kind of like ties in with another thing that I uh, that I was thinking that makes it hard to fathom what happened um, is that. The way that Hersey describes things, it's like borderline comic in a way. And I do not mean that disrespectfully. Like, I mean, if anybody has ever watched like graphic videos on YouTube or whatever, you see something absolutely horrific happen. And there is like this macabre, like almost like caricature Sort of aspect to whatever's happening, and the language that he uses, um, it does border on something that I don't know. You read it, and it's so just like flat and plain that you're like, "Wait a minute, what?" Like, like there's one, there's one scene. I don't know. This is a terrible example, but I quoted this down and it's early on in section 2 where it says Dr. Fuji's hospital was no longer on the bank of the Kyo River. It was in the river. Like that line is delivered with like no nothing but facts. <laughs> yeah. Yet it reads <laughs> almost like a punchline. And the truth <laughs> is is like I was trying to wrap my head around that whole scene. I was like that's just something you wouldn't understand unless you were there, unless you saw it you know and I can imagine those soldiers faces like the same way it's like we can sort of imagine it but I think until you see something like that it's you don't really stand a chance of like fully grasping it Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well and the other thing is like because father Wilhelm was had said well he said multiple times in this book that I mean, essentially, he had a belief or a fear or something, and it was instantly gone. Like, the moment that the bomb exploded, his entire outlook on life and everything about his life changed, right? Like, like he was talking about how he always worried about his shoes before the bomb dropped and how he had multiple shoes, whatever. Now, like, what's the point? I have one, and that's good, you know? Yeah. or like he was he was talking about being squeamish and in that same scene when he's talking about the um the soldiers it was like well i was squeamish but now i'm standing in front of 20 soldiers who have their faces like melted off like
0: i think it's a real now, testament to like i guess i don't know i don't want to like overly romanticize it but like you know the human spirit in a way that's like mm-hmm when it boils down to it, it doesn't matter who we are. Like we will do what needs to be done in a moment. Um, yeah, that quote, when he was talking about his shoes, I I wrote it down. I think he said something. He he said, it's funny, but today things don't matter anymore. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. I don't know.
2: I, I, um, I had some thoughts just on your original question, just to like bring us back to what you were talking about. Cause I kind of had a powerful reaction to the people and one that I didn't feel good about. <laughs> it was like, I had to call myself out for white privilege basically. Cause I read about the German priests, and I was like, Oh, I didn't know there was white people that died in Hiroshima. Like that's sad. That's crazy. <laughs> and I thought, Oh sh- what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> like, I, you know, I, oh, God. But um, it does kind of, it plays a role that does connect you a little more to the story in some ways. Because, like, my family was German ancestry. And I think we all have some German ancestry because we're not a very diverse podcast crew. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but yeah, but then I was just like, wait a second. These are, when you bring that up, it's kind of like, these are pretty hand picked stories, you know, and and they are picked to serve a purpose. And I would I would love to read a book with twenty more that are just kind of random who's who, and one with the soldier, you know, and and just kind of trying to get the, that perspective too. But so I feel I feel torn about that because I think it, there were some unusual things that helped me think like, oh no way, Japan had Christianity I, and missionary, and like I didn't know, really know that. That was happening in the 40s in Japan, but also then, well, there's there's so many more perspectives. It, there probably wasn't that many Christian priests in in Hiroshima, and we have two of them featured. You know?
1: Yeah, I kind of felt like that was a shame a little bit, um, but I like I I am fine with I, I would have liked to have stuck with all Japanese people, but I mean, I guess. Father Wilhelm did have some interesting insights and stories in, and he does, I don't know. He does kind of represent that. Yeah. I don't know. White, white man basically, but I had some, some qualms with him. Um, And maybe it's just, I had some qualms with how these particular things were chosen, like how these particular stories were chosen. Like, because I feel like it's directed at Americans for sure. And so like at the end of the book, and I don't want to jump too far, but at the end of the book, uh, Toshiko Sasaki, uh, who had broken her leg, she was like maimed and miserable. Like she really, she didn't get the aid that she needed for like a really long time, like three months or something. She sat with her bones still fractured, you know? And, um, but, father Wilhelm came to her cause he, he, all these people are loosely connected. Like they knew each other kind of, and mm-hmm. certain ones pop into, uh, uh, one person storyline and out and, you know, so on. But so father Wilhelm like was visiting her. He, he visited her often and there was this one line. Let me see if I can find, find it in my notes where, uh, she basically calls him out and says, like, what kind of God would do this? Basically, here it is. She says, if your God is so kind and good, how can he let people suffer like this? Father Kleinsorge explains that man is not in a condition that God intended, and we went on to explain all the reasons for everything. or And, and he went on to explain all the reasons for everything. And then, uh, like, several paragraphs later, it, it says that, Uh, she felt like better about things and then became, she ends up becoming a nun at one point. It's like, like, (laughs) it's like, wow. So like we, the Americans dropped this atomic bomb. And then like one of the main parts of the story is to show that like, it's okay. Like God is real. I I don't know. It just felt kind of weird to me.
0: I imagine that people would often um, have to, like, rationalize something like that and, you know, the—oh, God, words escape me today, guys—the evangelical nature of Christianity uh, is is always there, ready to tell people, like, you know, help them make sense of something— that they can't make sense of, like there's no really making sense of like the sheer amount of destruction that happened, um, you know, that morning, there's no like rationalizing it. I mean, you know, we can, we know all the ins and outs of like why, you know, it was picked and you know why that location was picked and why we dropped the bomb that day and why we dropped the bomb in general. Like, you know, because it's been studied for more than 50 years at this point. Um, but then to the people that's there, that's like no consolation to them. Like their lives are just utterly spent on this day and there's like no going back to the way things were. And so if like somebody's there with like words of comfort or just trying to help somebody or whatever, and they happen to be Christian, then likely that person is going to find that Christianity is full of like comfort, comforting metaphors and things like that.
1: Yeah. I just found it odd that like that one character that is as close to an like a white American kind of like was the hero in this moment, like she's suffering. And then he went on to spl- to explain the reasons for everything. Like, wow. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know what exactly that means. The book is actually full of like a lot of vagaries like that, but, um,
1: yeah. Anyways, I digress. Um, so, after we get through the first chapter, we go into the fire, which is chapter two. And this is kind of what we've been talking about, which is basically the what happened initially after the bombing. And it basically talks about um, how how people got out of the kind of horrible situations they were put in, and how other people like started helping each other. And like one thing I found really interesting, and and this was something that I thought was part of the reason probably why they picked two doctors was because um, doctors were in a really horrible spot, essentially when this happened, because most of the doctors were within the, the radius of the blast where they just all were killed instantly. So like, I have a stat that says a hundred thousand people died instantly and another hundred thousand were injured. But then there's a, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but they essentially said
0: 168 doctors.
1: Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. There's 168 doctors. And then for, for that, there was like five to 10 nurses per doctor or something. But, um, one of the doctors that is focused on, um, Tara Sasaki, his hospital, like people just went to it. They're like hundreds and thousands of people like came to his hospital, and it was like big enough to hold, you know, like a hundred beds or something for the patri- for the the patients. And so here he is. He's like one of the only doctors that can do anything. And there's like ten thousand people or whatever, like sitting basically. It's like sitting around his hospital, and he he in particular he had worked for like i can't remember how many hours straight but more than an out more than a full day straight without going to sleep and then he went to sleep for like four hours and got up and continued and it was one of those it was one of those like dilemmas where you don't necessarily know what's right like who do i help first there are so many people in need who do i help you know and and there was a a point in the story where um one of the other doctors got on his case for helping somebody who was like much worse off than other people because like the idea was to help those who like didn't need as much help at first to, to get them on their way and then those other people that were in a much worse condition would just die like there's no point in helping them and there's like so many like that that you might as well just like let them die and try to try to help the ones that um like had a had a chance kind of a thing yeah so there's basically just this kind of moral dilemma that these people are put in and they have to make a choice you know and i a like part of me was was constantly wondering how people of a different culture would re- react in this situation right like i i thought that the japanese the way that they described them in general handled this so gracefully and you know someone someone would be suffering like they're on the concrete you know just laying there like suffering and they wanted a drink of water. And so a more abled person would come up to them and give them a drink of the water. And that person would say thank you and bow. And then most of the time they would just die, you know. And then there was another person. Um, which character was it? Or, see, I said character again. Which person was it? It was, uh, uh, I believe, Kiyoshi Tanimoto, who basically spent that whole day just like helping people, give, giving them water, um transporting them to a safer place and things like that and he constantly felt guilt that he was more or less unscathed by it you know like he saw these people who were hurting on the ground dying and he felt um a lot of guilt that that he wasn't that person you know and so yeah but he took that and then he used it to help the rest of the people
0: i have a quote oh, from i kind of him got off track with mind. the
1: doctor thing but go ahead Rhett.
0: uh he said uh in the book i guess it's not what mr tanimoto says but what hersey uh said i guess while interviewing him uh he said as a christian he was overwhelmed with compassion for those hurt as a japanese he was filled with shame for being unhurt Um, but also right before that, uh, I will add, um, that for everybody that was being helped, there was probably quite a bit of people that actually weren't getting any help. Um, one of our main people, um, uh, Toshiko Sasaki at the tin works, the one who had her legs pinned under the bookshelf, uh, she didn't receive help for a long time. And of course we just talked about how she, I think lived with her, um, legs broken for like three months. I have a quote from Mr. Tani Moda's section in the fire. Um, or you're in section two as he's going past, he, he said under the ruins of many burning buildings. Whoops. Um, anyway, sorry, a little hiccup there. Um, I was saying that as far as like, um, people getting help, uh, there are there were people who were not getting help. In Mr. Tenimoto 's section, he says again, under the ruins of many burning buildings, people cried for help, but no one helped. Um, so, for all the stories we probably hear about, you know, people helping, you know, get water or helping injured people, there were people who were just lost in buildings. And actually, our our character in the Tin Works, Miss Toshiko Sasuke is one of those examples where there's a scene where she's like literally crying for help from these people, and they're just like, Sorry, there's nothing I can do. Bye. <laughs> they like left her pinned <laughs> in all of this stuff. Yeah. Anyway,
2: yeah, I think just to do some scene setting here, because, uh, you know, this is like a super terrible and terrifying part because the blast just happens. You're disoriented, buildings have collapsed everywhere. You're trying to dig your friends out of the rubble, and then. All this all these fires are starting around you because not mostly they said not from the blast, but from you know, a building falling on a cook stove that was on and then things catching on fire. And so you're trying to save the people buried in rubble and also run away from the fire. And yeah, that that leaves people with a lot of really awful dilemmas because you gotta it's kind of like that, do I try to save one more person or do I try to save myself? You know I might get engulfed in the fire, and then everyone's gonna die. Uh, I just felt like it quickly turns from this terrible thing happened to this terrible thing continues to happen and is growing, and you know like the the carnage gets worse before it gets better,
0: yeah, um what's interesting is um. I had uh, Google maps open while I was reading this a lot of the times, um, just because like Taylor said at the beginning of the podcast, like me and him were there, uh, just a couple months ago and it, we went to the, uh, atomic bomb dome memorial, <clears throat> which, uh, was like pretty haunting in a way. Uh, I always say, and, and people can laugh, but it's like, you know, I went to Pearl Harbor and for whatever reason there, it's like, <clears throat> it's just like a very, very like, I don't know noisy type place you know like you can you can like almost look up in the sky and you can like you can hear the planes like strafing overhead you know and i i don't mean literally but <clears throat> it just kind of has that type of vibe well over there at the atomic bomb dome it's like very somber and quiet and um i, I always had like sort of like the impression of like a graveyard. You know? Yeah. Um, and of course, like being kind of metaphorical and, but uh, that's honestly like the impression that I got. And <clears throat> when we had, um, when they were talking about in this section, everybody's gathering at this park they call Asano Park. Um, it was actually just a few blocks away from where we were while we were there. Uh, it's kind of like between Hiroshima station and Hiroshima castle which the castle was destroyed during uh, the atomic bomb detonation, but there's like a replica there now with like a cool museum and all that sort of stuff that we went to. But Asana park is, uh, is um, kind of to like the East of Hiroshima castle on Google maps. And that's apparently like where a lot of people were congregating when, um, when, you know, they were just trying to escape uh, the fires and escape the devastation. It was along the banks of the river and people were going into the river when the fires got too hot and all this sort of stuff. And I actually have a quote, uh, again, sorry, but I thought a lot of the quotes are pretty powerful in this book. Um, And I can't remember like whose scene it is exactly. I think there's like a couple characters that were there. Um, But uh, I think Taylor will agree with me that this is um, sort of like epitomizes um, Japanese people in some respects. I guess I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but uh, the quote goes like this. The silence in the grove by the river, where hundreds of gruesomely wounded suffered together, was one of the most dreadful and awesome phenomena of his whole experience. The hurt ones were quiet, no one complained. none of the many who died did so noisily, not even the children cried. um yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's just like so fucked up.
1: <laughs> I think I wrote that quote down too somewhere. And I think that was Father Kleinsorge. Yeah. But yeah, man. That's uh and that to me that's what's like part of the reason why it's so terrifying. Cause normally you'd think that in in a time where like so much destruction has just happened around you. Like if people are dying, they'd be like screaming, and and at least you would know that there were other people in this situation with you. But I think, and that's that's part of what I mean when I say like they took it with grace, yeah. Whatever. They like there was one character I can't remember exactly his name or who he was associated with. Maybe Mr. Tanimoto. He was he was saved. He got saved, and he was fine but he kind of like Mr. Tanemoto felt guilty and he wanted to die with his country, basically. Like he's, he said, well, some, something along the lines of like, well, Jap- Japan is sinking. Like the Japanese ship is sinking. I'm going to go down with it. And then he like just sprinted back into the wreckage and like burned himself to death. Like he hopped in a fire, you know, it's like, i don't know man it's it's yeah i kind of rambled but
2: it's a i
1: yeah thinking about
2: what you both just shared and from the book it's kind of a there's this strange there's some strange pictures where everything is still very orderly which you know i I guess is like japanese in some ways and people are trying not to complain but yeah then there's scenes where that's totally breaking down which you would think it would be breaking down even more and i they were trying to carry that man away so that he wouldn't run back into the fire and then they just were too tired to carry him and so the minute they dropped him, he sprinted back and uh yeah that was a powerful like he probably thought the world was ending yeah like what's the use of surviving when when it's all over
1: yeah well, and they even say in this book, and this was, this was part of the reason, why um, they say at least that Truman decided to drop the bomb, was they like in this book they say that even after the bombing, the people in Hiroshima like thought that there was a possibility that they could still win the war, you know, and it just kind of like shows the culture, and and there was also a section on. Uh, when Emperor Hirohito like spoke to them over the radio and like was talking about basically surrendering and the people at least the way they describe it in the book, they felt like very honored and blessed that he like spoke to them directly because they had never heard his voice you know, it's like it's just so interesting. They had so much pride in their country, you know? And so it's like, even though they're in the middle of the all of this wreckage and like, literally, I, the worst thing that's ever happened to humankind, they're at, at the doorstep and they still are thinking about that kind of stuff, like what's best for Japan and what does our emperor want, you know? It's a, it's a completely different mindset like i think i feel like and i i mentioned this before that i tried to or i was i started thinking about how different cultures would take a bombing like this and i feel like the americans would do something like they did with 911 you know like like just feeling very entitled kind of and um, being kind of a like a victim you know and I don't feel like that at least how this book talked about it I don't feel like that's that was the case for Japan I don't know
0: not that it's entirely it related and sorry I'll make my point quick Um, <clears throat> but one thing that like really fascinated me while we were there in Hiroshima was um the fact that, you know, uh, a decade or so after the bomb was dropped, maybe less, um I, I wish I could remember the name of of the, like the the organization exactly, but um the mayor of Hiroshima at one point uh founded this group called um Cities for Peace, or maybe it was like Mayors for Peace or something like that. Um and the thing that actually like made me super ashamed was that there was like less like there was oh god I'm butchering the statistics but I thought that there was like at least 600 cities on the list maybe there was like 6000 but uh there was something like seven or eight American cities on the list um and basically all it is is, it, you know, the cities for peace or the mayors for peace or whatever, we're ba- it, it's basically like cities that are for nuclear deproliferation and against um, uh, just nuclear warfare in general. And obviously like that all kind of stems from Hiroshima, like after the bomb was detonated, they became sort of like the poster child for world You know, world peace, peace in general, nuclear deproliferation and all those sorts of things. And it's just like sort of pathetic to me that like that we um, don't have that many cities on the list. And in fact, I don't know why I haven't thought about this since. But I remember thinking there at that moment is like, I wonder if this is something like I could take to like any of like the local mayors like from our area and like maybe get them to like sign on to. You know, like not not that it like makes that big of a difference or maybe it you know, it's just like a purely symbolic gesture. But like, that's how bad I felt about that. I was like, this needs to change. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, at the so at the end of the book, I'm, we're starting to jump around a lot. But I mean, essentially, the the order of the book goes like the bomb is dropped, the aftermath, the. Like the effects, like, learn basically learning about the effects of the atomic bomb and then what happened to the people, like, for the rest of their lives, basically. And touching on kind of what Rhett was talking about, the people that survived the atomic bomb were called hibakushi, which literally translates to something like bomb affected person. And yeah, they were not only thought of as as different in japanese society but also like you said kind of the poster children of like what happens to people in that situation and and that was something that just really struck me as pretty twisted was how i mean the americans developed the atomic bomb we tested it in was it air not arizona Nevada or New Mexico Mexico. right Mm -hmm. we tested New Mexico but we don't have any idea what it does really to people I mean we know it's going to kill them but and they detonated the
0: very first one not even two weeks before they dropped it on Hiroshima that was it it was two weeks between the detonation of the very first atomic bomb ever and then deciding to drop it on human beings
1: yeah Um, and I guess what I was what I was getting at and and I think Rhett was too was just how it it's pretty twisted that we took such like a weapon of mass destruction and used it as like this scientific experiment on how it affects people. Right? And like can you imagine? I mean, maybe it would have gotten to this, but like if we had the choice back then to drop it on Nazi Germany versus dropping it on Japan, I would think that we would still have dropped it on Japan because like I was talking about, we thought of them as lesser human beings. Right. And it's like, just crazy that that's how it was. Like no one, one thing that happened a lot was people that survived, they seemed like they were healthy. Like they had no signs of like, you know, ex external bleeding and all this stuff, and then they just drop dead from all of like the radiation poisoning. And that whole thing was I don't know if it was better or worse, honestly, for those people to to have been in the middle of the blast and just die instantly or suffer through the consequences of radiation poisoning. Like you know their their bones were getting weaker they their gums started bleeding their hair would fall out they would have like just horrible digestive problems and a lot of them didn't survive after after that you know it was just like massive suffering for months basically or or whatever and like we the US and and even Japan would send send scientists in to kind of like, look at these people as like test subjects, you know, it's pretty twisted, man. Yeah. It makes me think about
2: kind of going back to sapiens and if, you know, if, if our listeners listen to that, one of the themes, which was kind of sad and depressing, but we got to at the end was about the violence and the suffering that humans can inflict and how we don't always move in the best direction and uh, like the chart of history isn't as rosy as, as some may think. And I thought about that a lot while reading this book, that this was a, this was not an evolution in human scientific technology and ethics. It was the opposite. You know, we have this new weapon Great, and now we're worse than ever.
1: Well, and the other thing I thought about too is just like, we did this twice. Like, in the span of a couple weeks, we tested the first nuclear weapon, we dropped it on one city and demolished it, and then we dropped it on another city and demolished it.
0: sticking with us through that first leg of the trip guys we got another episode it's already available you can find it right where you found this one so go ahead and take a quick break 10 15 minutes stay hydrated use the bathroom and uh we'll see you when you come back but hey if you got a moment please give us a a, a rating and a review on itunes your favorite podcast app of choice hit that subscribe button if you never want to miss a thing and don't forget you guys can join the conversation over on twitter just give us a follow we are at awesome book club